so I may be a terrible interview. Fortunately for you, I'm a fabulous interviewer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. How long do we have a time? No. We're just going to talk until you start crying. Oh, and then no. I'm going to get that on video. No. And then we're going to call it. I'm like, why she crying now? So. You're like a terrible podcaster. <laughs> This isn't how podcasters should do this. You've heard my podcast before? I have. And this, mm-mm. Hello, friends. Welcome to Off the Beaten Podcast. I'm your host with the most lifelong Chicagoan, caffeine fiend, and master L train navigator, Dion McGill. Off the Beaten Podcast is the pod that gives voice to the city of Chicago and the amazing people who make this city unique. So, check it. Can I be real a second? For just a millisecond? Let down my guard and tell the people how I feel a second? (laughs) Hope you caught that reference. If not, I feel sad for you. Okay, but real talk. Um... I am struggling nowadays, y'all. I am just struggling with the burnout, seriously. And I just feel like my cup is empty right now. I love working on and creating the podcast, which I think you'll hear in this week's interview. But seriously, after a day of work, I find myself just struggling to make it all happen. But I'm still kicking. Um... I took this week, today is Friday, I took this week to lay low and do my best to recharge my battery, and I really wanted to get this episode out, so I'm going to really, really try to make that happen today or tomorrow morning, um, because I think this conversation turned out really well. Also, let me thank all of you listeners. I, I last posted an episode on July 2nd, as I mentioned, burnout. (laughs) and two days ago i got an email from the good pods app um i use good pods because their focus is on building community amongst both podcast creators and listeners with a special eye for independent podcast creators so unlike a lot of podcast apps you can look at rankings overall but then you can flick a switch and look at just indie rankings or just indie podcasts I'm an independent podcaster. So me being compared to an NPR or WNYC uh, is a case of David and Goliath, you know. But two days ago, um, Good Pods or or two, two or three Good Pods emailed me and they let me know that Off the Beaten Podcast had made the Good Pods top 100 charts in three different categories. So we made, uh, we ranked number four in the top 100 personal journals chart. So that chart includes all the big podcasters. So we kicked butt there, which was amazing to me. Um, We ranked number four in the top 100 indie personal journals chart. So that's just including indie podcasters. So that means the top four podcasts in the personal journals were all indie podcasts, which is amazing. And then we ranked number 33 in the top 100 indie society and cultures chart. Um, and that's like the category where your This American Lives and your radio labs are. Um, but that chart is just indie, including the, the, the NPRs. I'm not at the top 100, but, you know, that's all right. That's all right. We're working. So I say we, because you all make those rankings happen. So if you're listening to this, thank you. If you listen on Good Pods, awesome and amazing. But if not, that's fine. Just as long as you're listening, I appreciate you. Please keep doing so. Please keep messaging me and letting me know what you want to hear and what I'm doing wrong. And I will keep on trying to find the best guests and producing the most interesting content possible. Also, a huge thank you to longtime listener and friend of the podcast, Rachel Robbie. Rachel recently purchased the pod several cups of coffee, which is amazingly appreciated. For those of you who are regular listeners, I've had my eye on a Zoom PodTrack P4 for recording. Um, 
and I also need at least uh, one or two more microphones. But long story short, I, I have this idea of having this roundtable discussion. So the P4 is not even going to work for me um, with, with just some of the ideas and plans that I have. So I've got to go back to the Googles and figure it out. <laughs> but uh, your donations help make all of those purchases possible. So thank you to Rachel. And of course, this is a perfect moment to mention that if you would like to support the podcast, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash off the beaten podcast and buy me one cup of coffee or you can buy a few cups of coffee. All donations go right back into the podcast. Uh, so, you know, that includes this great equipment I currently have, uh, but it also allows me to upgrade. And I haven't even begun thinking about things like soundproofing and all that stuff to take the podcast to the next level. But um, I appreciate every every little bit helps and I appreciate it immensely. So thank you, Rachel. All right. Uh, so this week. I have a conversation with Idalmi Noriega. Idalmi is the Vice President of Programs and Engagement at the Poetry Foundation. But I didn't invite her on the pod, like in in her professional capacity. I didn't invite her to really know more about the Poetry Foundation. You know, not not that there's not that I don't want to, and hopefully that'll be a discussion in the future. But I've known Idalmi for a couple of years now, and I've wanted her on the pod for a while, just because she is an amazing and dynamic personality. And when you're talking about people who make the city of Chicago unique, she fits that bill perfectly. Um, however, recently an article was published about Idami that was entitled Idami Noriega is redefining what poetry looks like in America. And when I saw that headline, <laughs> I immediately texted her and I was like, oh, so you're redefining poetry in America, huh? I had no idea. And she was like, okay. That's <laughs> she goes, I didn't say that. You know, she she's very humble. Uh, but I saw this as a perfect opportunity to harass her a little bit because, I mean, what are friends for? And uh, we did talk about poetry and how she found herself at the Poetry Foundation. But we also talked about a couple of other topics that I think you'll really enjoy. And as a final note, <laughs> Idalami was also the first hostile interview I've ever had. Uh, We had the interview planned for about two weeks in advance, and when the day came, she was just not into it. So you actually heard that audio at the top of the episode. Um, But she warmed up, and I think we had a great conversation. So let me know what you think. And we talk about the Words of Wonder Literary Festival, which was hosted by the nonprofit Burst Into Books. My original intention was to post this interview prior to that event. Obviously, that didn't happen. Uh, However, let me know if you'd like to hear more about the festival. Um, If so, I will reach out to the founder and see if I can get them to sit and chat with me. All right. Um, Thank you for letting me clear all that air um, and enjoy uh, this conversation with Idalmi Noriega. And we are recording. How are you? Hi, Dion. I am well. How are you? Oh, great. Nice. I've wanted to have you on forever. I know. We've talked about this for at least a year and a half, but I know way longer than that. And here you are. Finally. You're so unexcited. I'm apprehensive, but here I am. That's all right. It's going to be painless. It's going to be painless. It's going to be like a punch in the face. It's going to be easy. Uh, I'm excited that we're hanging out, less excited about um, an interview, but let's do it. So go ahead and tell my my, my five listeners uh, who you are. Um, my name is Idalmi Vanessa uh, Noriega Perez, 
and I am a Chicago resident who hails from the west coast of Puerto Rico and one of Dion's many friends. Yes, you are. And you are. So it's funny because when I started this podcast, I was like, I want to talk to you. Like, I know all these really cool people and I want to talk to them. And I can't remember. We met right before I started the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you're one of those fascinating people. Okay. <laughs> I Thank you. Uh-huh. Of, I love that face of stretching. You, you were just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think you're fascinating. You don't think you're fascinating? Uh, yes, I think I'm fascinating. <laughs> I'm not selling this well. I'm sure your listeners, uh, and I know there are more than five of them, uh, you're underselling it for my comfort, and I appreciate it. But I know they're like, oh, come on, get with it. Like, look we're listening just like. Oh, gonna, okay. The five is going to listen regardless. The other, like, <laughs> 35 they, they're coming go but well I'm, so. I'm gonna i'm gonna bring my game face and do this for no, the other 35 i hope that they stick around and listen no you're not look at you. <laughs> <laughs> okay but no no but you do a lot and you're you're i mean you're, you're a fascinating person in reality you kind of are like i think people who meet you they're like oh you know he's fascinating okay so um First, uh-huh. <laughs> we can talk about how we met. We can talk about how we met. Which I told one of your friends recently, yes. and she was like, is that a real story? I'm going to have to tell the real story. So would you like to tell the story, or would you like me to tell the story? Um, I'm happy to tell the story. Okay, go ahead. Um, it was, I don't know, a few summers ago, but with post-pandemic times, I have no idea. It could have been 20 years ago. It could have been one year ago. I know it was one year ago. It was a while. Um, we met on OkCupid. Is that where we met? We met on OkCupid. Yes, and we went on two dates. And we went on two dates. Uh, I don't remember. Was the first date cafecito? The first date was cafecito, which was a very, like, that was such a good first date. I, I brought a game. And it's funny. I remember that date because that date is why I know what peonies are. Because I went to go, because you, uh-huh. right? I was like, okay, I'm going to go get some flowers. Mm-hmm. And I went to go get peonies and it was a bust. <laughs> yes. But you did. You brought me beautiful flowers, which was flowers. such a kind and lovely thing. No, that was that was a really good first date. It was. And then what was the second date? That I don't remember. The second date was not too long after that. Hmm. I remember we ended up run, riding the bus back together. I remember that. To like our neighborhoods. Um were we just like hanging out on Michigan Avenue? Is that what we were doing? Did we get coffee? Uh, See, I don't remember either. No, I know what the second date was. We had drinks on 53rd Street. That was what the second date was. And then you walked me back home. Oh. Okay, I totally don't remember that. Maybe that's why I wasn't the third date. <laughs> but, and this is what I told your, your friend. Because she was like, how did you and Dobby meet? I'm like, oh, okay, Cupid. And I'm like, we went on two dates. And then she was like, I don't want to date you. And I was like, oh. I didn't say oh, I don't want to date you. I'm those almost, were not the words I used. I'm almost certain those things. You were like, I don't want to date you. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. I'm sure there were other words. The order of those words probably isn't as you remember them. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it was just a lot of me nodding like, oh, okay. <laughs> And then, like a week later, you did you call or text? I don't remember. I don't remember. And then you were like, hey, I still don't want to date. <laughs> but you're cool. Can I'm, we be friends? Right. I was like, what the fuck did you call for? <laughs> I don't remember that specifically. <laughs> you didn't say you, that to me. What you led with, oh, just so you know, I still don't want to date. I was like, why are we talking? And you were like, but you're cool and we can hang out. And I was like, oh, okay. And we literally hung out like two days later. Like it was like that fast. Mm-hmm. And we've been like, really good since, friends since Really then. good friends yeah. ever since. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So here we are. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. Oh, I mean, I guess it worked out. I, I mean, I think, I think so. I'm still single. So, <laughs> so am I for the record. So- F- and uh, it's F-M- fine with me. FML. Oh, my God. FML. Okay. So that's how we met. So one fascinating thing about you, I think, is your 
background, mm-hmm. right? And so we haven't mentioned yet what you do professionally, mm-hmm. but I think that kind of plays into this. I and I was like, research, doing some research, right? And I'm just like, it's just really interesting because you mentioned in a previous interview, you were like, you know, born. In mm-hmm. the United States, well, born in the United, grew up in the United States. So I'm mm-hmm. sorry, but born born on the mainland, in, yes. as they refer born to, right? Born in one of the contiguous 48 yes. states. Yes. Then you know, grew up in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Come back, and so I just kind of like I was like, that's really interesting though, right? And then what brings you to what you do professionally? Mm-hmm. So like walk us, like walk me through that. Like tell me, yeah. you know. So I was born in Evanston, Illinois, which is a very random place for me to have been born because I now live in Chicago, where you live. Um, And I have lived here for 20 years. I love Chicago. It's a really, really wonderful second home. And Evanston is just kind of like this random factoid attached to the fact that I live (laughs) in Chicago and I grew and I, I was born like up the street. Um, in the first town uh, north of the city. And so I I was born there. I was adopted by my family. Um, my mom and dad came to Chicago to pick me up. I was 31 days old when the adoption was sealed, and they put me on an airplane, and we went to the West Coast of Puerto Rico, where I grew up. And so I, um, all of my family is in Puerto Rico. I feel very Puerto Rican in all ways. Um, home and the West Coast of Puerto Rico is where I'm from and the place I love most. And then just through kind of career and the way life goes in my early 20s I ended up moving to Chicago for a job thought that I would be here for a couple of years and I then go to other places because I was feeling adventurous and like I could live in many different kinds of places but I like Chicago a lot and so this is where I've been for two decades so um something that I did read about you mm-hmm. was when you went to school what did you major in? <laughs> Economics. Okay, so tell me about this. <laughs> um, it was a thing to study that I actually was fascinated by. Um, because for me, it was a way of like processing data and helping make decisions, right? Like it, it was, it was just like a way to think of the world. And um, I have never, ever had a job in economics. Um, I also, I, I didn't finish that degree because I think that when I decided to study that, it was it was as a way to find a, a reasonable um, career that would give me employment. Really what I wanted to do is be an artist and be a writer. And uh, my parents weren't about to send me to the mainland to study art. And so I'm like, okay, economics is a thing that's fascinating to me that I can do um, that I feel okay doing. And um, my creative (laughs) practice was like the side thing, the hobby, the things I found uh, time and other outlets for. But it wasn't attached to my schooling, um, which means that my schooling didn't work out really well for those reasons, because I just was doing something that wasn't like at the center of where my interests were. No, and I think two things. One, I <laughs> I just can't picture you as an economist because I <laughs> do enjoy the arts and writing and things <laughs> so much that I just can't picture being like you, Dominique. <laughs> economist <laughs> you going up talking about numbers and i'd be like what what just happened like and it's a bit, any more so than like i wanted to work for the fbi when i was a kid and i can no 100 <laughs> agent mcgill <laughs> Right, like it tickles me to think about it now like dude and like the latest i tried that dream was like when i was 38 that oh, recent oh my god yes i still when i Someone, uh, the FBI was doing a hiring to increase diversity. Mm-hmm. And so they were specifically hiring black and brown agents. Mm-hmm. And then I saw a job posting where they were looking for teachers. Oh. And I was like, the stars all have a lot. All of those boxes, I can check them off. I'm a veteran. I'm black. I'm taught. And I went and I applied. And just as I was doing the application, the very end, it said, you must be, you you can't be older 
than 38 when you finish training or start. It was mm. one of the start training. And my birthday was like a week later. Uh. And I was like, no. <laughs> so I officially like aged out of my dream. Mm. And I was like, well. How do you feel about that though? You know, it's one of those things I tell people, especially people who are younger. I'm like, it's very odd when you reach these points in your life where you're like, okay, this is not even possible right mm-hmm. it's not possible for me to have this job it's mm-hmm. just certain things i can 100 percent can't do anymore right yeah. yeah um and and so yeah it's just like one of those odd milestones i'm like well so much for that and here i am <laughs> so yeah so i find that fascinating for that for that those that reason um yeah yeah your so. personality I cannot see your personality kind of like fitting into the personality of how I imagine FBI agents to operate in the world. Okay, I'm sorry. Pardon me one second. Hello? Okay. Can you imagine me being in the army? (laughs) Well, I know you were, so I guess I can. (laughs) But I feel like most people can't. True. That's what I hear from people a lot. Like, yeah. You're in the army. But for me, like, I think there's many ways to be in the army. And maybe this is just my ignorance about what it means to be in the FBI. But, like, I have one very particular <laughs> stereotype in my mind about what it means to be an FBI agent. Like, you know, not that you were radar from MASH in the army, you know, but you could be radar from MASH. Or you could be, um, who was who was the man from Toledo, Ohio on MASH who would dress as a woman so oh, he yeah. could. Right, like... <laughs> Like, matches in my head, so I'm like, you could be any kind of person in the army. There's a variation there. Exactly. But, like, Mulder and Scully, were those there? Like, that's as varied from, like, the FBI stereotype as you can get in my mind. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, I can't, I can't picture either now, but it was a dream. Yeah. Okay. So, so you end up at a job mm-hmm. in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, was that the job you have now? No. Okay. Um, I came, I, I was living in Southern Virginia where I was working with the Red Cross in their blood services division. And I was, that was a job I liked very, very much. I was like driving all over Southeastern Virginia, organizing blood drives and working with like church groups and masons and like <laughs> black sororities and fraternities and school groups. I mean, it was like, it was a really, really fun job. And also for folks who don't know, um, Southern Virginia is, is very much like a military place there. There's mm. like lots of bases and there's a huge naval base there. Um, mm. And so folks were very much in like, into giving blood as part of like their like patriotic duty. And because there were so many military folks around, like that was just what people did. So the the parts of that job that are hard in other parts of the country, like Chicago, just didn't exist there. So it was like, oh, you know, you still had to do all the logistical work. It was like a little bit of a puzzle that you had to um, figure out to do the job well, but like the social aspects of it and like the getting to be with people and the getting to be in different parts of that region, those were great. And that is the job that brought me to Chicago because the local blood bank at the time was looking for a recruiter, a blood donor recruiter who would work with Latinx populations. And I was like, oh, I can do that. It'll be great. And it'll be just as much fun as it was in Virginia. And it wasn't. It's it's actually a very, very different thing to ask people to give blood in an urban setting mm-hmm. um, where we have all the like challenges of urban life that we know exist in Chicago. And so it became a really difficult job. And then it also meant that I was doing a job in a, in a place that I didn't know very well. Mm-hmm. So that didn't help me do the job. Um, and so I, I probably had that job, I'd say, for about 18 months. And quickly I was like, mm, yeah. Um, this isn't the thing for me anymore. Hmm. And from there, I um, gave my notice, quit my job. And I had only had mission-driven jobs until that point. Um, and I said, well, let's try a corporate job. I've never had that. Let's see what that's like. And so I worked for a tech company uh, through an, a temp agency. I was just like a lucky placement and I was the executive executive assistant of the CFO of that company, which was a place where I learned a lot of things, including the fact that I did not want to work in a place that was driven by a profit motive. Mm-hmm. 
I've never worked for one, so I don't even know. Mm. <laughs> I was stopping to think about it. I'm like, well, oh, I, I mean, yeah. Now, CPS to... No, oh, no. I worked for Nordstrom. Oh, they yeah. Drew, yeah, they drew my profit. They did. How <laughs> did you like that? Okay. So, this is how I explain my career at Nordstrom, which lasted like six to nine months. I can't remember. I got... Mm-mm. somebody's calling you i know i should have followed your lead i thought i had my do not disturb on um i would get there at four in the morning and i would sort through shoes and i wasn't al bundy i was the guy who would (laughs) hand the shoes through the door to Al Bundy. Oh, so you were like in the back. I was in the back and like and technically in logistics. Uh-huh. But like, yeah, we would get there like four in the morning and all, like the, the trucks had already been unloaded. So like all the shoes would kind of be like around and we'd sort them and like put them where they were supposed to be because like the store we were at, which was Oak Brook, wow. was a yeah. high Huge. volume store. Yes. So like... And them women are about there. I'll give it to everyone who's at, who works there because it was women's shoes. So it was mainly women who worked in the department and they were about their money. So you'd be like, running those shoes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I need that show. And I'd be like, uh, <laughs> uh, we're, you know, and so we always made, you know, so we literally like all day be like, moving shoes from point A to point B and like, okay, this shoe's being discontinued. So we need this whole shelf or something different. And just like, it was just like a constant thing. And I worked with this gentleman named Juan and I, he was amazing. And I remember after leaving Nordstrom, he worked another job at a hotel and he, but he like, he'd be like, so here's what we need to do. And he was just like, his mind was always just like going and he'd be like, well, let's do this. I'm like, Jesus, you know, (laughs) <laughs> he's like, hey, we're just going to move this whole shelf. I'm like, oh my God. It was crazy. I enjoyed the job though. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was one of those jobs you don't inter- you didn't interact with a lot of people, mm-hmm. which I think at the time I needed because I had just left CPS uh-huh. and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, so yeah, but the job I actually like the most at Nordstrom is they have um, mobile shoppers. And what are that, mobile shoppers? So if you ever order online from Nordstrom, that stuff doesn't come from a warehouse. It comes from a oh. store. So when you order something, someone has to go get it. Mm-hmm. And then like, especially around Christmas time, like people order like 30 things. You literally just go get a cart and you run around the store, like pulling the items. Mm-hmm. I love that shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that I love. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, I want to do it. And they were like, we need a volunteer. I'm like, I'm dead. <laughs> and I'd be running around the store, like looking at dresses, like, uh, this is the same dress right <laughs> that i love this story because to me nordstrom really is kind of like a magical place oh, i it's um, a place all right yeah well i am a person i'm a woman who wears size 12 or size 13 shoes and i was a size 11 when i was 11 years old oh, okay so yeah. i spend a lot of my youth um wearing either sandals or wearing like athletic shoes because that's what i could get at home and then I discovered Nordstrom, which we didn't have at home when I was growing up. And the fact that I could just go to Nordstrom and it's like, today I want red shoes. And like someone would find me a pair of 12, size 12, like flats. And it's like, that was <laughs> magical to me. That was not an experience I could have in any other store. Mm-hmm. So um, I understand about like the complicated logistics of like how the Nordstrom shoe department oh operates. God. And I really, really appreciate it. But I know more about women's shoes than I probably should. <laughs> so I'm just like, hunter boots. I'm like, oh, I'm all about them. I know all of them. Tell me. Tell me what you need. It was ridiculous. Yeah. So, no, it was good. But I, I can, like, dig that. Like, working, I mean, I've kind of, I feel like I've just kind of fallen into working for nonprofits. But now, like, I, I think about going back mm-hmm. to, like, a corporate or, you know, but then I'm like, Oh, I really wanna, right? There, there's like plus and minuses. A plus is that depending on the job, sometimes it's just a job. Like you don't come invested with all the yeah. additional emotional and other commitments that you might come into yeah. a job that's mission driven that you have a deeper connection to. Yeah. And sometimes that kind of distance is good. Yes. Yeah. No, I can dig that. So, okay. So you get from point a to point b you're working there 
And then there's where does the shift happen that brings you to the let it out, sister. Let it out. Okay. She about um, to die. Um, <laughs> Don't die. The shift happened. I was there at that job for about four years. And uh, at the beginning of year three, I'm like, this this, this has got to end. Yeah. So I gave probably the world's longest notice and told my boss that um, I was li- leaving um, at the end of the next summer. And really went back to the same temp, temp agency that had placed me there with not any kind of um, direct path to like, this is the next thing that I want to do. And I just wanted to temp and spend a little bit of time thinking and studying and figuring out what was next. And through multiple temp assignments that I got, um, I ended up going to the Poetry Foundation, which is where I work now Mm -hmm. and have worked there for um, more than a decade. But before that decade officially began, I probably temped there for about a year and a half on and off doing like some project management work, um, a couple of long-term vacations and maternity leaves for some of the other folks who work there. Um, and I got to know the place. And by then, um, I, I had been kind of connected into writer and artist communities in Chicago. Um, I, When I moved into the city, one of the first places where I started meeting people and connecting to uh, Chicagoans was through uh, a writing group for Latinas called Proyecto Latina. Mm. Um, and so that those those temp assignments kind of were the first time when like I could see the beginning of like my interest in in my creative practice could merge into like a job and a career. And so that was the the first step in the path that has led me to where I am. But you were into like writing before being at the Poetry mm-hmm. Foundation. So do you think like so you, you find yourself at the Poetry Foundation, but that really wasn't intentional. No, it wasn't. And also, I love poems very much. I read a lot of poetry, um, but I don't write poetry. Um, I write mostly fiction. And at that time, I was also writing some nonfiction. So I think that what resonated for me when I was able to kind of get get a full-time job and, and be at the foundation in a job that led to kind of like some program creation and and a lot of new uh, programming that came um, through my work there was the realization that the Poetry Foundation is a really well-resourced place. I mean, they have a lot of money in the bank. Um, Now they have a building in Chicago. They have um, kind of robust national programs. Mm -hmm. And that is very rare, specifically in literary arts. Mm -hmm. And because I had connections into creative and writer communities around town, I felt like it put me in a place where I could help with some of that resource redistribution and making sure that some of those resources got to artistic communities that weren't kind of being um, serviced and in the radar of the projects that were already happening at the foundation. I'll dig it. Okay. And that's a perfect segue to... Uh, to what? Okay. Oh, a quote. A quote I have. Okay. Oh, okay. Quotes. <laughs> we got quotes. Okay. Before the quote, though, I, I was just going to say... Oh, my brain is like 50 different ways. I don't know. Um, Jesus! I told you I'm a terrible interview. I'm so sorry. I'm breaking up she the studio. Just destroyed my- oh, no. What happened? I don't know. Is it? Can you still hear it? Yeah, I can hear it. Okay. There. I'm still here, people. Thank she you for listening. She's trying to destroy my house. <laughs> I'm with my... No, it's interviewee cool. ineptitude. No, you're fine. But I was thinking because um, during, like, kind of during the recession, my alma mater, Saint Xavier University, used to have me come and talk to the graduating education, uh, no, social science education students, mm-hmm. because like they were like, "You're worried about getting a job, but look at this guy. He's falling <laughs> into like every job possible." And that's what they used to say like they were like, "Your path is like." weird and we just want mm-hmm. you to tell the students about mm-hmm. it so they have some hope great <laughs> i'll be like well i was in the army and then i went to war i came back i got a job in alaska and then i came back to chicago in the middle i worked at nordstrom and starbucks like <laughs> you too can have a path like this 
Don't get married to any idea. <laughs> I almost said that's the exact thing I said. Don't get married to anything, right? Yes. Just, just walk. So, no, I, I did that. But, quote. Okay, you ready for this? Yes. Okay, here we go. Idami Noriega is redefining what poetry looks like in America. Tell me about this. I mean, that was a very kind thing um, someone wrote about me, and I appreciate them for doing that. Um, but it's 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 also a very broad thing, and I don't want to claim credit, full credit, for redefining what poetry looks like, uh, because certainly I am not responsible for that. I think when I read that, I was, I was like, I'm going to send her a picture of me just bowing. I'm like, oh, I had no idea. It's, yeah, it's a lot. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the person doing that. But <laughs> I, I I am in a place where um, as the person who leads the the programs and engagement team at the Poetry Foundation, um, we really can broaden um, how audiences think about poetry. And poetry is a really, really robust art form. And people know that, right? Um, but there aren't kind of like... The people who are into like poems on the page and academic poems and particular type of movement poems may not be in conversation with like a poet who like perform their poems on a stage and the audiences that are really excited about perhaps coming into an open mic or into a slam and discovering new poems that way, right? There's a lot of segmentation in how poetry is both created and experienced and I think that a little bit of what that quote was leading to in terms of like redefining, I'm like, poetry's defined. Poetry looks all kinds of ways in America and beyond. I like that has nothing to do with me or my team. But what we are trying to do is like break down a little bit of the boundaries that exist between those um, groups of people that think of poetry in very kind of particular and defined ways and let them know, no, no, that other thing is also happening. And this is the connection there. And to the people over there, this thing is also happening. And these might be some pathways to kind of like more um, comprehensively kind of understand and enjoy what poetry is. Look at you. You're bad interview. You're fabulous. I mean, I could Any, talk, anyway. but I'm like, this isn't my favorite way to talk. Which brings us to another idea that I had. Um, and I'm going to try to capture my best CLA mind here. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your thoughts about using leadership to break down barriers. I think, yes, of course. That's my thought. Yes, of course. Use leadership to break down barriers. And I think a couple of things go into that. The first is like realizing who the leaders are, right? And realizing the leadership that exists within every one of us. Um, I think that we often feel like to be a leader means to have a title or to have um, resources or to have a constituency. And yes, people in those positions are absolutely leaders, but that isn't the only kind of leadership. And sometimes that's not the most effective kind of leadership. Mm. And so... um, what does it mean to recognize oneself as a leader, claim that power without like having been granted the permission to do it necessarily, especially like a woman, <clears throat> excuse me, especially as a woman. Um, and also for many of us as people of color, we we often feel like, okay, who, who's going to give me the authority to do this? Like claim the authority. Mm-hmm. And even in that act, that's a way to, to start breaking down some of those boundaries that exist. <laughs> Those are poetry snaps, people in the audience who can't see who can't see Dion snapping his fingers. I love it. So <laughs> going along with that, another connection that we have mm-hmm. is through CLA. The Sh- Civic Leadership Academy. Yeah. So yes. Tell me about CLA. CLA is a program out of the Center for Effective Government at the Harris School of Policy at the University of Chicago. And it's um, a commitment by the center and by the university to um, really invest in the civic leaders of Chicago. So every year they bring together a cohort of 30 Chicagoans, um, people who uh, work in government and nonprofits. And so I think they've made two really significant commitments that make this a really powerful convening. 
uh, the first commitment is that in every cohort, 50% of the class will be people of color. And the second commitment is that 50% of the class will be um, government. So Cook County and City of Chicago employees and the other half will be kind of nonprofit leaders in the nonprofit space. And that means that by bringing these cohorts together every year, you really are bringing into community people who can impact change in the city. Because in our little offices, and by little, I mean some are actually little, and some of these folks are in very small nonprofits, and some of these folks are like, in the office of the president of Cook County. So, um, but kind of like in, in the in the realms that we occupy in our daily work, however big those realms are, we have power there. But what does it mean to then be in conversation and community with people who have power in other realms of the city? And how can we learn to get together to um, think through the issues that impact the city and then hopefully bring about some real change? Love it. And you were the one who told me about CLA. I did. And recommended that I apply. I did. I was so unconvinced. <laughs> I know because I was too in the way that I, I, I was the person who proselytized about CLA to you. My good friend Jeff Deutsch uh, did it to me and I too was unconvinced. And I was like, I don't know, Jeff. I think Jeff is a member of the 2018 cohort. And um, he said really great things about CLA. And I was unconvinced until I joined, and now I get it. When did you become convinced? I became convinced. So I, I went to – I so my year, I, I was part of the 2020 cohort. So I did a virtual information session in the summer of 2019. And for those of you who remember, 2019, summer of 2019 was still a moment where, like, at the height of the COVID kind of like uncertainty, right? Like mm. pre, pre-vaccines, many, many people were still at home. Um, we weren't doing kind of like outdoor activities. Many restaurants were still closed, all of that. Um, and so I went to a virtual session just to understand what the program is. Mm-hmm. And that was cool. Um, I talked to some people um, uh, that were alumni who are really excited. I'm like, okay, this is cool. I'm, I'm starting to get it. There's a broad spectrum of people here, um, wider and less stereotypical than I would imagine people who come to these kinds of things are. And so I decided to apply. And the moment I became really, really convinced was with the interview. Um, you apply, and if you move forward, you're interviewed. And you are interviewed three times over the course of I don't know, half a day, less than half a day, a couple of hours. Um, And in each interview, you get to speak to three members of Mm -hmm. prior cohorts. Mm -hmm. And every interview was more exciting than the last because they asked really wonderful questions about what it means to be a leader in Chicago, what it means to understand the challenges and the opportunities in the city. But then they were really enthusiastic about the work and how CLA had impacted their work. And then at that point, I'm like, okay, if they don't accept me, I'm going to be heartbroken and I'm going to hate everyone forever. (laughs) Luckily for me and for all the people I would have hated, I got in. Very nice. Mm -hmm. How many sessions is CLA? I want to say That's 12, a, maybe uh, 10, something like that. I wasn't convinced of class six. Really? <laughs> I was so not convinced. So what happened in class, class six? That was the class on, on data. Oh, Professor Barry. Yeah, and yeah. that's where I became convinced. I what was, was I mean, I, I, I get it, but like, <laughs> tell the people, tell the people what about Professor Barry's lecture on data. Oh, it was so great, because I hate data. Anyone knows me knows I hate data. And then like, it was just, like the way he presented, he talked about, um, it was the uh, assessors, assessments, yes. housing assessments. Yes. And that scandal... Uh, which we don't need to get into <laughs> with the Go- Google it like Cook Counter Cook County property assessment. So that's you know right, like read it all there right. with the previous Cook County assessor, not the current one. And um, you know it was just great how he was like talking like how he used numbers to like yeah. explain this situation and yes. to, like tell this narrative and you know and then he was like and then I had to educate the journalists because journalists didn't really know. So I'm like look this is how you gotta look at it and it was just like fascinating to me. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. A, a thing I love about 
Professor Berry's work, particularly around the issues of property assessments in Cook County, is that this whole scandal and everything that came from it, that isn't what he was working on. And right. so one of the huge things I took away from that... Pardon, that's me doing weird things with the mic again. I'm back. <laughs> um, one of the things I took away from that lecture is to like see what this data is showing you, even when that's not what you're looking for, yeah. right? Because sometimes we're very focused on a thing. And yes, that thing could be important, but all the things around it that the data are also pointing to might tell a different story, might tell a, a bigger, more important story. And if you're only focused on the thing you already know you're looking for, yeah. then you miss the bigger thing. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, and additionally, like... I don't really think of myself as an academic. I know we've had this conversation before. And, like, I'm in this group of people. And, like, some of them are, like, I'm I'm fairly convinced that some of them are genuine geniuses. Mm-hmm. And, and they're, you're right, in some form of fashion. And I'm just sitting here like, I, I don't even know what the motherfucker just said. Like, what did he say? Um, what did yep. he, you know? <laughs> okay, yep. so I would, like, be like, what the fuck he just say? Okay, cool. I'm just gonna sit here like, okay. And yeah, I just I was not convinced that I'm like I remember like just at class after class being like, This is so not for me. That is so <laughs> interesting, so right? Because what convinced you was a particular lecture about data. What convinced me, I think, is what the thing I still love about CLA, which is the relationships, right? Yeah. Like the classes were great. I learned a lot. I read a lot. All of that information, not all of it, many, much of that information has been really useful in my work. Yeah. But what I love was like the relationships that come out of it with yeah. both your other fellows from that year, Mm -hmm. your cohort. And then through activities and other things you meet, you meet other CLA people from prior years and, or like years beyond yours. Um, And uh, some beautiful things have come out of those relationships that I really, really value. Yeah. Oh, I dig that. And me too now. Now I'm, now you're convinced? I'm a little bit more on board than I was. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> a little bit more. Come on board, Dion. I'm Come like, all the way. I'm like, you know, okay. We're cool. We're good. No, they're good people. And they're good people. I was very lucky to have a cohort of really good people. Um, So that was it. But yeah. But th- thank you for- You're very welcome. I'm glad that you- even with your hesitation, I, I decided to yeah. to to just, apply and join. I just think that's my personality. I'm just like, oh. <laughs> I want to be convinced. One of the, one of the, I can't. I'm trying to think who it was, but one of the girls is like, yeah, he just always disappears too. Because like when we were in France, like we'd be together, and then the next minute they'd be like, where'd he go? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm three blocks away. Like I'm out. <laughs> Cats tomorrow. Like. I would just be like, eh, doing your own thing, doing my own thing, mm. but that's okay. So, what it's was friends people. like like for you? It was an experience. Mm. It was good. Um, busy, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like you guys move a lot of a lot of meetings, a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, and just trying to track everything, you know, because it like I feel, like, yeah, I'm happy I did it. If I had the opportunity to do it again, I would. Right, mm-hmm. that's for sure. But like, yeah, it's just like I don't know. It's hard for me to connect to these lofty discussions about leadership, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of like, all right, you know. I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not a. I don't even know the, like how to explain it. I'm just not a big person on theory, right? Mm-hmm. I want some practice, and I think that's a little different, right? Because yeah, there's some some difference in there. But no, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed. It's the almost people. like I want to continue defending CLA to you. Not that I don't feel like I have to, but that's like kind of like my impulse. But I I hear you on the practice. And I think, I think that's where the relationship part of it comes in, right? Because all of our fellow fellows, we're all doing it every day, you know? And like, I don't know, two months ago, you were like thinking of infusing some poetry into your programming, which is not about poetry. And like, you called me, right? And like, there have been moments where I'm like, I want the perspective of an educator or um, even one's um, kind of like a facilities logistics person at the city. And I was able to like reach out and say, hey, because we're both CLAers, do you mind just spending 15, 20 minutes with me on the phone thinking through this work-related situation? And that has been more constant and more practical for me 
than even like the theory and the lectures that we all kind of studied together. Yeah. And I think that's a skill I just need to get better at. Like uh, something I have learned since COVID um, is that (laughs) someone pointed out to me, she goes, you're very aloof. Mm. And I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, you you really don't need people. <laughs> like mm. You're just pretty much like, they're cool if they're around. And although I think of myself as very much a people person. Mm-hmm. She's like, well, the people are around. You're like, fuck them, man. You're just going <laughs> to you. <laughs> and, and I've had a couple people point that out to me. And so now I'm trying to like, I don't know. I don't even know like what I want to do, but just try to be more engrossed mm-hmm. in people in a way. Which is weird because I'm sitting here talking to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do this a lot. I you a talk lot. to people yeah, but on mics and you ask really good questions. I don't think I need them, though. I think that's... <laughs> I don't need okay. you. No, okay. <laughs> I don't need any of you, though. <laughs> As you, like, go live in, like, your hole <laughs> only to emerge <laughs> whenever you feel well, I the think need. It's just, yeah, I think through, through, especially young, I spend a lot of time alone. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just kind of like, eh, if people around is cool, but if not... I'm just as good. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. Okay, I have... Oh, no. While we're talking about CLA, I was just thinking about... I was just watching a video the other day uh, about another CLAer, And I know you two have a working relationship because she has an event coming up. And that is the Words of Wonder mm-hmm. Literary Fest. I am so excited about the Words of Wonder Literary Fest. Wow. The Wow Fest. So tell me about it. So the Wow Fest is the brainchild of a fellow CLAer, um, Jerima Gorham. Yes. Um, Jerima also has like a fascinating path, uh, career path, but a lot of it revolves around education and issues of literacy. Mm -hmm. And so she founded Burst Into Books, which is a literacy nonprofit in uh, Roseland in Chicago. And they have done some, it's, it's, a, it's a new organization, but already they're doing some pretty cool things. Mm. And to me, the coolest, most exciting thing that they're doing is this literary festival, which is happening on July 30th in the South Side. Um, I believe the hours are 11 to 5, uh, but all of this is available in the interwebs for more details. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, the really cool thing about WOW is that it is a literary festival concerned with young audiences. So it is programmed to serve young readers, uh, black, brown, but all the readers of Chicago. Um, it is located in the South Side, where we all want more uh, cultural and program, well, cultural and literacy programming. There will be many activities. Um, author events. There's going to be a youth and family uh, tent with a lot of activities, books for sale, um, books for donation. And the main reader is Jacqueline Woodson, the novelist and poet who will be coming from New York to read. And so this is going to be an amazing festival. And please, folks, come out, bring your young readers, um, have fun, support the event, because it's a thing that we want to happen every year. And for that to happen, we want to have success in year one. Yes. And I know that uh, the Poetry Foundation is a partner. Yes, we're a partner. But okay. Jerima has brought together a really, really fantastic coalition of Chicago authors and nonprofits. So it's like my folks like my very own library, the Chicago Public Schools Department of Literacy, the Seminary Co-op Bookstores, uh, Crescendo Literary, which is the um, kind of organizing work that authors Eve L. Ewing and Nate Marshall do together. Um, and the list goes on and on and on. So it's, it's really kind of like many, many, many people yeah. across Chicago coming together to make this literary, literacy, literary festival happen. And I'll put a link in the episode so notes because I was watching an Instagram with Jerima and E yes. talking about the festival. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to bring it up because one, Jerima is a CLAer. Yes. Um, she is amazing. She's in my cohort, uh, 2022. Um, and she has this amazing nonprofit mm-hmm. um, that, you know, like 
they do such great work. So I just want to have, it's a great opportunity because I don't know if I'll connect with her before the yeah. festival. So if not, at least we've been had an opportunity to plug it, yes. let people know. I'll make sure there's information. Um, I'll be sharing it on the Instagram and such. So yes, go check it out. People come out, come out, come out for it. Yes. As unfortunate as it is, I can't go. I'm, I already know I can't. Mm-hmm. I know. And I, I know. Still <laughs> I know. Look. I also I'm cannot go that day. Oh, there's like, <laughs> No. Uh, there, there's a, a very huge personal scheduling conflict for me that day. No. Um, and I am very, very, very bummed about not being there. But that does not at all like diminish my enthusiasm no, for events. I want everyone who can go to be there. And I will absolutely be there next year. Um, yeah, I'll be there next year. But before I even knew the date of the event, I was already scheduled to uh, anyone who listens to the podcast knows that I bartend in the summer. So mm-hmm. that's the same weekend as Lollapalooza. Lollapalooza? Yes. Yes, it is. And so. I'm so gonna... think of it as alternate programming, right? Many, many, many of us don't do Lollapalooza. Don't this like. Right. This is the place like, to go. Don't like that Lollapalooza happens. And it's not anywhere near Lollapalooza. <laughs> right. And if you go to 95th Street for the WOW Literary, Literary Festival, you completely avoid Lollapalooza so think about it which I love I love, I love that thinking of it like that I'm like I kind of want to go and like, but I want to I want to make that I want a new computer so this I'm uh, the saddest person you're like, bartending I, for like I a already, computer right, yes right, I specifically know what I want to use that money for and it's like three months out <laughs> like, I need that money so yeah, yeah no but uh, if Jarima shit anyone who knows Jarima please let her know we're talking about her yes and please she tell is her she is the best yes. yes if she wants to come on and, and talk about the festival she is more than welcome and uh yeah we'll make that happen uh okay i just got a couple more questions I, I let's get to them but i just realized you said that you're a member of the 2022 cla cohort which means i messed up my dates because i was a member of the 2021 cohort which means i interviewed in the summer of 2020 but again chronology and time I, what is it i don't know and so that's why my they say dates were off covid totally messes with people's yes. timelines and so because yes. you said 2019 and i was like oh i was still out <laughs> <laughs> I was wild in 2019. 2020, though, <laughs> was when she yes. got bad. So, like, yeah, we, we we knew nothing. We were innocent in 2019. Oh Who knew COVID was coming? Oh, my God. Well, somebody, Fauci. Fauci. <laughs> yes. Nobody yes. wanted to listen. Yes. Oh, okay. I'm putting you on the spot. Okay. Okay. Let, let's go for two. Mm-hmm. Favorite poet that's... Oh. Old. (laughs) Okay. And then someone who might be more modern. And if you want to name more than one, that's fine. I know, right? Oh, I I can name 20. I don't need people pulling your hair. (laughs) So, okay. But here's what I'll say. I'll say who my... uh, It's not even about favorites because I really have like really countless favorites without exaggerating. Um, But I will say uh, a poet I have loved since I was a very young person is okay. Sandra Cisneros. Um, and yeah, many from people Chicago, from right? Chicago, okay, yes. Yes, yes. And many people know her as a novelist. And of course, many, many, many people know The House on Mango Street, which mm-hmm. is such a beautiful and important book. So yes, all of that. But also, she writes some very beautiful poems, especially about womanhood and empowerment. Um, especially, um, or a book I, I love especially is her her book "Lose Woman" from the 1980s. Um, it's a book, a, a collection of poems, and she has a new collection coming out from Kanaf this fall. So oh, look beautiful. out for that. Um, and then a uh, uh, kind of a. <laughs> Please continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, and so uh, kind of a. a, a a poet of a newer, of a younger generation that I am reading right now, I have, I'm carrying her book in my bag, is uh, Maya Marshall. This is a book that was just published this month, or, or last month, it was published in June. And that title of the book is All the Blood That is Involved in Love. And it is about love in all of its ways, right? Like familial, romantic, motherly. Um, and there's a lot in there about women's bodies. And it is a book that I wanted to read because Maya Marshall is a great poet. And I was excited for the publication of this book, but it's also resonating in unexpected ways because of 
our Supreme Court and um, all the things that have been happening around uh, reproductive rights over the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I have one last question. Yes, sir. And I'm stealing this question from someone else, but I like it. And I think for you, it's, it's a really apt question to ask. What is your superpower? Oh, I know what my superpower is. Tell me. I listen really, really well. <laughs> that that's a that is a superpower mm-hmm. in 2022. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that works. Um. Is there anything we missed? Yeah, 20,000 things, none of which <laughs> I feel a need to talk about right now. <laughs> I was going to say, if you want to talk about <laughs> no, it, because no. you were reluctant to start talking about anything. This was a very lovely and pleasant experience. See, Thank you, Dion. You. It went way better than I thought it would. I told you. I was going to painless i'm not here to embarrass you no i mean i didn't think you were you're actually i i am one of those five listeners of your podcast as you know and so i i knew yeah it's it was about me not about you and you were very kind i'm always delightful let's be real here you are that face you Well, thank you for coming and chatting with me. Of course. No, you are very welcome. I'm actually very glad we finally got to do this. And we'll do it again. Next time we're going to get salacious. So for now, right. Mm. Well, Mm. I'm just saying. (laughs) Who did she fool 484? (laughs) (laughs) Liar, liar. No, no, it's good. Like, you know, this is is a podcast about celebrating Chicago and the people that make this city unique and you are one of those people and so people more people need to know about you if it was up to me you'd be king of the city oh, a you. queen queen of the city I'd be happy being king, king too but king, yes wear queen. both those crowns and make you know the good regent. decisions is that regent I, the, the non-gendered it, term I, I like it yes I'll be regent of regent Chicago regent of Chicago jeez that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> so yes so more people need to know about you. And we look forward to seeing everything that you do in the future. Thank you very much, Dion. And now we're going to go do gardening stuff. Let's go do gardening okay. stuff. Okay. So thank everyone for listening. I'll do the the after whatever, after, after. Um, and I'm going to try to get this published um, within some reasonable amount of time. So thank you. Thank you, Dion. And uh, thank you, listeners. This was lovely. See? Yeah. Uh, she had doubts. She doubted me like everyone else in my life. Okay. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>